Please bow with me in prayer. We come before you, our gracious God, celebrating that it's all about you. It's all about your greatness. It's all about your glory. It's all about your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness, your generosity, your patience. Lord, we come here today to celebrate you. We thank you that you give us the ability to do so through your spirit. We thank you that you give us the ability to do so through your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that we as sinful people can approach a holy God and enjoy your presence and enjoy your peace and enjoy your love. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you today through your word, we pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would inspire us, and that you would come to a great understanding of who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Micah, if I have not met you before. Uh, it's a joy to be with you today as we get to enjoy God's creation around us and celebrate his goodness and mercy and grace to us. And as we continue to worship, uh, what we're going to be doing is studying the word of God together. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 8, or if you have your phones, you can turn it on there. And we do this because as we gather on Sundays, really it's a day of celebration. It's a celebration through music, through prayer, through testimony, through God's word, of realizing the greatness of who God is and what he has done. And as we've been celebrating the book of Hebrews and studying together, really we begin to wrestle with the terms of how great Jesus is. And we've been looking at different themes and different ways to understand and different ways that Jesus has revealed about himself and the ways that we can know him for who he truly is. And we've been looking at these important documents of the Bible, especially through the book of Hebrews, to give us a beautiful explanation of who Jesus is. And I really believe that that is probably the most important question a human could ever ask, is it? Is who is Jesus? Because understanding who Jesus is transforms and changes everything about our lives, everything about our concept of why we exist, everything about our worldviews, everything. Really, the question of who is Jesus is probably the most important one we could ask. And, and as we ask this question, what we come to realize throughout the Bible is there's a lot of language in the Bible that describes Jesus that doesn't really meet our cultural context, right? We, we sort of realize this in the last few chapters of Hebrews. I have uh, Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, a big explanation of who Jesus is, is Jesus is the high what? The high priest, right? And many of us, we don't really have a concept of priest in our culture, unless perhaps you grew up in a Catholic church or, or some other spiritual religion. But this concept of priest in reference to Jesus means that he is the only way that we can find a true mediation between us and God and God to us. And so Hebrews has been describing this beautiful description of how God through Jesus brings himself to us and brings us to God. 
And so we look at a lot of this argument. And so Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, really begins to reemphasize this theme. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this. In other words, everything that was summarized in the last three chapters of Hebrews, and we spent a lot of time, Andrew spent a lot of time in Melchizedek. He did a great job with that, right? That was a very complex passage that he walked through. And it says, now the point in what we are saying is this, is here's the summary statement that we could have said and skipped three weeks of sermons. We have a great high priest. Amen? In other words, we have a God who comes to us and restores and reconciles relationship with us. And it says, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For Moses was about to erect the tent. There he was instructed by God saying, see that you made everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And really this is a summary statement that the, the writer of Hebrews says to summarize everything he's talked about in the previous chapters. That the great high priest is something that the entirety of history was longing for, that we as humans needed. Now, we spent a lot of time discussing Jesus the high priest, so I want to jump into the next theme today. This theme of covenant. There's this beautiful understanding of how Jesus functions as the mediator. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says this. But as it is... Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be have no occasion to look for a second. And so as we talk about the greatness of Jesus, today we're talking about how Jesus is the greatest covenant. Now, Here's some Christian language that we don't often use. I mean, who talked about a covenant sometime this past week? Anyone just throw that in your normal conversation this week? No. We, we don't really have reference for it. We don't really have understanding for it. So I want to sort of break down what is this better covenant that Jesus brings and why does it matter to us today? Well, well first and foremost, perhaps the closest understanding we have of a covenant in our context and culture is a marriage. Who has ever heard of a marriage as a covenant before? Right? That's probably the closest type of language that we have in our culture. And so this language of, of covenant in a marriage is really a partnership. You're, you're bringing two humans together who are often very distinctly different from each other, who often have a lot of different backgrounds and experiences together, yet they're pulled together in this marriage to create something beautiful and a partnership. And so they work towards something in a partnership to bring something of beauty. Now, what does it mean for us as humans to be partners with God? If we as humans were created for covenant and created for partnership, what does that mean? Well, when we go back to the very beginning of the story, and again, the first book of the Bible is what? Genesis. Genesis, and in the beginning, God did what? Created. 
God created. And we realize that God created humanity and God created humanity for a purpose. And, and one of the purposes for which he created them was to have a covenant relationship. In other words, we were created to partner with God so that God gives us this beautiful creation and what we can do is spread the goodness and glory of God throughout the world. I mean, that was our original purpose as humanity, as created in the image of God, was to be people who bring about goodness and beauty and creativity throughout this world, bringing love and mercy and all these things into existence. And yet, in the first covenant relationship we had with God as humans, what happened? Did we succeed? No, we drastically failed, right? The, the beginning of the, the book of Genesis opens up with the calling of humans, what they're created for, what we're created for. And right at the beginning of the story, humans decide to say, you know what? We don't want to partner with God. We want to do what? We want to do our own thing. We want to live the way we want to live. We want to rule and have dominion the way we want to as humans. And so that covenant relationship becomes broken. It becomes fractured. And the beautiful thing throughout the entirety of the scripture, and, and this is why covenant is such a massive theme in history in the Bible, is because the language of covenant throughout the Bible is God trying to restore that broken relationship. God trying to restore that broken partnership and enable us as humans to be fully what we were supposed to be and what we were created for. And so we see this throughout the story of Scripture, and we see all these massive covenants being made in the story. And so what are some of those covenants that we see throughout the story of Scripture? After we see the fall of humanity, evil and brokenness spreads into the world, what is the first one we see? A covenant with... Yeah, that covenant with Adam that failed then. Yeah, Abraham's an example of one of the covenants. Noah's a massive covenant. Yeah, Moses and the law. There's one more king. King David, right? And so we see this entirety of the Old Testament story. And it's God trying to restore the covenant with all these people. Now, one of the answers to the question is why is the Old Testament story so long? It's because humans failed over and over again, didn't we, right? And we still fail today even. And, and so what were these covenants being made? For us to understand Jesus as the greatest covenant, a better covenant, well, what do these old covenants represent? And so we look at the story of Moses. Or sorry, let's start with Noah first. We see evil and injustice spreading throughout the world at the beginning of the story of humanity. And, and God says, I am holy. I cannot be in the presence of evil and injustice. And so I have to deal with this evil and injustice. And how does he deal with it? Blood. The story of the flood, right? And God wipes out all the evil and injustice in this world. And yet he says, wait, there's something wrong here. In order to completely wipe out all the evil and injustice in the world, what does he have to ultimately do? Wipe out every human, right? Why? Because all of us deserve the wrath of God, and every one of us brings some about evil and injustice, whether we like it or not, into this world. 
And so God instead, he does what? He sends a sign saying he's never going to act this way again. And what's that sign that we celebrate? Rainbow. The rainbow, right? And it's this beautiful description that we see of, of God's promise to restore and reconcile that relationship to make it right again. Now, now here's what's fascinating to me about the rainbow. Uh, a, a lot of the, 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 the deities and gods of antiquity, they were all associated as warrior gods. And so a lot of them would be depicted with a bow and arrow. And that would show their power and their might and their ability to control. And, and we see this, this act of God being replaced by a rainbow. Now, where is the rainbow being pointed? Think of a rainbow. Where is the rainbow being pointed? Up to God. Right? Think of that we call it a rainbow, right? There's a reason we call it a rainbow. Where's the bow being pointed? Up. Isn't that fascinating? And what we see is this foreshadowing of Jesus' death on the cross. Because even in the beginning of the story, God begins to see that, you know what? For anything to be resolved in this covenant, I have to take the wrath on myself. And so we see this portion. I'll talk a little bit more about it later. And so we see this, this language of the covenant of Noah. The next covenant that God makes is through Abraham. And what was the covenant that God made through Abraham? What does he promise for Abraham? His offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? And this is mind-blowing to think about right now. Because we... Uh, what, what was the new, uh, we had that Hubble telescope, and what's the new one that just came out? What's it called again? Yeah, James Webb telescope. Have you guys seen that picture? Like, you're looking into galaxies and galaxies. It's the farthest we've ever been able to see as humans into the cosmos. And it is absolutely mind-blowing how expansive the cosmos is. And, and God's promise to Abraham is, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it's this foreshadowing of, of what the family of God will be and the promise that God is going to bless the entirety of nations through Abraham. And yet, as we see throughout the story of Abraham, um, the people of Israel, they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Their offspring was supposed to bless all the nations. Did they succeed in that mission? Nope. nope. They failed in that mission as well. And so we go on to Abraham to Moses. And the, the covenant God made with Moses is that he basically gave them what at Mount Sinai? He gave them the law. the law. And he instructed the people of God, this is the way I desire to live, now live in it. And it's comical to me because as soon as the Israelites get the law, they go away and say, okay, God, we're going to fulfill this law. Everything's going to go great. We're going to be the people that you want us to be. We're going to be the humans that you create us to be. And did that happen? No. Nope. No. They failed in that too. And, and then you, you look at the story in the next covenant with King David. And the promise to King David is that he would have an eternal kingdom. Right? Now, how do you have an eternal kingdom through a king that is now dead? Doesn't make sense, right? 
And the, the, the promise to, to King David is that the kingdom would spread throughout the nations and God's rule and reign would be blessed and that they would exercise justice and righteousness as God's kingdom. And yet they failed in that too, right? And so all we see, basically the entire of the Old Testament, an understanding of covenant is failure, 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 failure. Isn't that interesting? That we as humans can constantly fail to be the people that God wants us to be. Now, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? <laughs> pretty sad. Who, who feels like a failure sometimes? Right? We, we all do in many senses. But here's the good news. Here's the beauty of what God has done. Is despite our failure, despite who we are and what we've done, God has continually pursued us throughout history, continue to pursue and love us. And it's fascinating because God himself has actually fulfilled the covenant. And, and Jesus' covenant is greater because guess who the covenant is based upon? It's based upon Jesus. It's unconditionally based upon Jesus and what he has done. And so the beauty of that is can God ever fail? No, God never fails. And so the covenant that Jesus makes is perfect. And God cannot fail even when we fail. So here's the beautiful description we see later on in verses 8 to 13. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, for he finds fault with them when he says fault with the old covenants is what it's referring to. And he has this massive quote, the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament from Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In other words, the people of God, what we call the church today. And he says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen, church? Amen. That's the best news we could ever hear. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old, and ready to vanish away. And so what's fascinating about history is that Jesus is introduced into the story as the one who fulfills all these covenant relationships. And so we think of the story of, of how does Jesus fulfill the story of Noah? Well, Jesus ultimately becomes the one who takes upon the wrath of God, who dies for the sins of and evil and injustice of this world who literally takes the wrath of God upon himself. And then he fulfills the story of Abraham 
Again, Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to the nations, to the families of the whole world. And now we see through Jesus, the church, the gospel has spread throughout the nations. Amen. With the hope and purpose that one day every tribe, tongue, and nation will know the gospel and turn to Jesus. We see that Jesus was the, the faithful Israelite who failed to obey the law, and Jesus was the only one who obeyed the law in perfection. And we're told that Jesus is the king from David who actually goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and love and mercy throughout all of eternity. That's a pretty remarkable statement for one guy, right? It's crazy to look at this history, and that's one of the reasons we celebrate Jesus as God and not just a mere human, because we're, we realize that God becomes human in order to fulfill this covenant and to make this covenant when we as humans were hopeless. And, and so what are some of these, these blessings of the new covenant that come then? I, I want to focus on, on three major things, especially from Jeremiah. What does it mean to experience the blessing of the new covenant in Christ? Why does that matter for us today? What does it change about our lives? Well, one of the beautiful things that we see from Jeremiah, the prophet, it says, God says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on where? Heart. Their hearts. In other words, our hearts experience transformation. See, what was interesting about the Old Testament law is everyone knew what was right and wrong, but no one had the ability to actually do what was right. And so again, humans failed over and over again, and yet the hope that we have through Jesus is that the Holy Spirit now guides us and instructs us into righteousness and in doing what we are. And so the, the beauty that, that comes from Ezekiel 36 and other prophets says, it says this in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will move the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So in this new covenant in Jesus, now, now we actually have the will of God inscribed in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now internally and experientially, we actually get to experience what obedience to God and his purposes actually look like. Now here's, here's the next beautiful thing from Jeremiah. We have this blessing of a personal relationship with God. Jeremiah says, I will be their God and they shall be what? My people. We have a relational God. We have an understanding of experience God. That means that God isn't just God up in the sky. We don't believe in deism where God created the world. Now he's separate and apart from us. We believe that God is present and with us and we can enjoy him and he dwells with us. And we experience his peace and his patience. And we can realize that we belong in the family of God. And then here's the third beautiful thing. From Hebrews 8.12, from the prophet Jeremiah, we have this blessing of the final forgiveness of sins. It says, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities. 
and I will remember their sins no more. Amen, church? Amen. See, it's it's a pretty beautiful concept when we think about this. Because how often do we, when we're wronged by someone, hold it against them? Anyone struggle with that? Anyone have a natural tendency to judge or hold a grudge or bring something up from the past, that the way that someone hurts you? And yet the beautiful thing in the new covenant is that's not how God treats us. God doesn't bring up failures from our past. God doesn't force guilt and shame on us. God simply comes with mercy and grace and he forgives our sins past, present, and future. This beautiful description of what it means to be the people of God. And so as we analyze this language of covenant and as we grow in our understanding of this narrative of what Christ has done in this new covenant, I hope it, first of all, brings you to realization of the faithfulness of God. And as we think about how to respond, there's, there's really not much response we could even have to this other than obedience and receiving this gift. See, see the language of covenant throughout the Old Testament, again, what happened every time there was a covenant? The people did what? They failed. And yet God was faithful to them. God remained with them. And, and so this faithful, loving God comes into a relationship with us and he establishes a relationship knowing first and foremost what? Knowing first and foremost that we will fail him over and over again. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, who has failed God over and over again? Any confession time here? We fail God over and over again, and yet he shows love and patience. And it doesn't deter God from doing something on our behalf. And so when we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about being in a relationship with God, really all it is is trusting in the generous covenant love of God. And, and trusting that he is going to make us into the kind of human that he made us to be and that we continually fail to be. And yet he calls us to continue following him and he's even put in an understanding that we will fail him as we follow him. And yet still shows us that love and grace. And so our, our response then is really simple obedience and trust and what God has done. And so even as we, we celebrate baptisms today, this whole concept of baptism, when we come to the waters, it's, it's not because we've arrived at a spiritual point in our journey. It's not because we've reached some level of Christian maturity. But coming to baptism is simply a declaration of what God has done for us, right? And so even as we, we baptize, we're celebrating the loving covenant faithfulness of God in our lives. And so I'm going to explain that in a little bit more, but I'm going to get us just to stand and I'm going to pray and we're going to continue to celebrate the goodness of God together. So I'm going to call the team up as well. And again, this is, this is a sermon that's really, there's, there's no complex application. 
really it is is just celebrating the faithfulness of God despite us. And it's realizing that as, as we fail as humans, as we fail as Christians, as we fail as followers of God, which we will do over and over and over and over again, that God has created this new covenant where he is faithful when we are not. And he has empowered us by the Spirit to fall in obedience to him. So let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, we come before you. First of all, in confession. Confession as individuals. Confession as the church. Confession as the people of God throughout history. Confession as humanity throughout history. That we have failed you time and time again. We have failed to be the people that you have called us to be and created us to be. And yet you, being rich in mercy and love and grace, have come to us as the one who restores and reconciles the partnership that was lost with our Creator. And that you have come to establish a new covenant, a covenant that has nothing to do with our ability, but your ability to fulfill it. And so we celebrate you, Jesus, as the greatest covenant, the greatest fulfiller of the promise that we could ever imagine. And so we come before you today simply in celebration of who you are and what you've done. And I pray that we would all simply come with an understanding that as we follow you in your way, Lord, we discover not only what it means to have no fear of failure, knowing that we are welcome in you, but no shame or guilt that can condemn us, knowing that we are forgiven in the new covenant of Jesus' sacrifice. We celebrate you, Jesus. We praise your name. Amen.